There he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. So, Jamba, here we've got a new sponsor. Yes, mate. So, for season two of the Hit in the Areas podcast, we have a brand new sponsor. Uh, the guys at Ellsbury Glazing Repairs have kindly sponsored us for this season. Um, so, for any sort of glazing and window repairs, they're your guys to go to. So you know when um, your windows blow and you get all that sort of condensation and, and maybe some water inside the glass. Yep. These are the guys to talk to. Um, I've literally just had it done. My missus has been banging on for ages about getting it done. I had them come in. They've taken a look and they've done a brilliant job. It's like I've got new glass. Um, so, yeah, if you are looking for... Um, that type of service in the area so any sort of window repairs or any glazing specialities um you need to give them a call so you can give them a call on 07889730995 or you can email them at glazingrepairs at hotmail.com now they normally serve the likes of buckinghamshire oxfordshire hertfordshire and bedfordshire um and their aim is to give you a clearer view every time you can also find them on facebook instagram and twitter Nice one, Jambo. Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kyson. Rich, how are you? Yeah, really good, Jambo. How are you, Mick? Yeah, not too bad. Well, just getting over COVID at the moment, so that's why we've been away for a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, starting to get over it. Good to uh, hear, mate. Good to hear. Which, uh, yeah. Um, so today we are moving into another part of the world of football. Uh, today we will have a football agent on. Uh, it's our first time having a football agent. Uh, today we have got Reese Land. Reese Land is the founder and managing director of Next Gen Sports and Entertainment Limited. So he's not just a football agent. He's the man, he's the MD of this company, Next Gen Sports and Entertainment Limited. Um, brilliant that we managed to get Reese on. Um, this is going to be a gr- brilliant episode and hopefully we can learn a thing or two. We can educate a little bit more about the football agency world. Um, and Reese is based in the women's game, which is an even bigger learning curve for people. So what, what's your thoughts, bud? Yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I, I don't really, know, I don't really know too much about him, uh, so it'd be good to know that, know more, uh, why, how he ended up where he is. Um, he does look quite young, um, so to have built that sort of business background and 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 the sort of reputation that that he has, um, he's obviously got something special about him. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. You know. Um, we are living up to our name here in the areas. Uh, we haven't just found an agent. We found an agent in the women's game. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to get started. Yeah, so a little bit of background on Reese. Reese used to play uh, professionally. He was at Rotherham United um, and he had a bad injury at a very young age um, of around about 18, 19, um, which is when he then moved into... Um, the management side of footballers. Um, so yeah, well, let's listen to his story. So let's get Reese on. Okay, so I'd like to welcome Reese Land to the podcast today. Reese, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, very well. Uh, Rich is here as also. So how are you, Rich? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Jambo. Reese, you okay, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. Not a problem. Reese. we wanted to get you on. Um, I think your story is absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's uh, a little bit... We, this is going to be our first episode with a football agent. Um, so we've, we, we're we going to get stuck into it. We're going to you know know all about the football agency, what people might not know, um, and some sort of common myths as well. Try and get over them. And really talk about the women's game, because that's what, where you sort of focused on. Um, so, yeah. Reese. uh how or, or why did you want to become a football agent? Um, so we're sort of going back now six years. I've, I've been an agent for six years now. And the reason why, I, so next gen 
Next Gen Sports and Entertainment, as we are today, used to be called Next Gen Sports Solutions. We, we had a bit of a rebrand about eight months ago. The company was set up essentially to represent and manage my own career as a footballer. So if you look at, for example, what happens in boxing, you have sort of, uh, 258 Management, Anthony Joshua's management company would manage Anthony Joshua. Um, you sort of look at like David Hay Promotions, David Hay's promotional company would promote David Hay. So it's a way really for you to keep control of your own career. I had an agent when I was playing football. So again, we're going back sort of six, seven years here now. Um, I was coming through an academy, sort of going into scholarship, into first year professional. Um, didn't really have a relationship with my agent, spending an absolute fortune because I, I paid my agent direct. I, I, I still believe, I'll probably go into this later on in the episode, but I believe that players should pay agents as opposed to clubs paying agents. Um, so that's something that I, I actively wanted to do. I wanted to pay my agent because in my eyes, if I'm paying him, he's working for me. If he's, if a club's paying him, he's working for the club. So I was spending a fortune on an agent where I didn't really speak to him, maybe spoke to him two, you know, twice, three times a year. Realised that I can set up my own company, employ probably one or two full-time staff that would work for me in my company, managing my career. So the company was set up. We would only ever have one client, myself, but it would give me full control and full transparency of my own career. Um we then go to sort of a typical story of what, what every sort of lad says. I've then suffered an injury, which which annoys me a little bit because this is actually my story. Um, and then ended up with a company, two full-time staff, but no income because I wasn't playing football. So it, the, the injury put me out. I tore my meniscus, which put me out of action for about eight, nine months. Didn't have a contract. Um, so that's, that's why the company was set up originally. Why women's football is sort of a different answer. So, so a lot of my friends that I played football with at the time are now playing in the football league. One of them got a move to Chelsea, um, about 15 years old. So I went down to Chelsea to watch an under-21s match. I don't know if it was under-21s or under-18s at the time. Went down to Cobham, uh, sorry, to, to the Arsenal training ground. So Chelsea were playing, playing Arsenal. Went down to London Colney to Arsenal's training ground and sort of sat in this room where all the parents are, all the, all the agents, all the press, just watching the game. Arsene Wenger walks in, quite confident person, I would like to think. So if Arsene Wenger's there, I'd like to go and try and get a photo with him or have a conversation with him. Spent about three or four minutes talking to him, but there's only one thing that I remember him saying from that two or three minute conversation. He pointed at the women's team training on the far pitch and he said, that is the next big thing. After that, you know, I'm sort of driving back up to Leeds where, where I'm based and that's when the decision was to go into women's football. Now, bear in mind, this is six years ago. There's hardly any full-time footballers six years ago. Agents typically charge a percentage. None of my first, I think, 10 or 15 clients were on a contract, so I'm essentially charging a percentage of nothing. So the first 12, 18 months in business were quite hard, but hopefully that covers why we set up and why we went into women's football. Yeah, definitely. So um, there was like the idea of sort of setting up your own firm to look after your own career and then... Um, and then the injury causes a massive fork in the road, doesn't it? You you obviously went down the path to then create an agency. When the firm, when you set it up to manage your career, I I, I think that's a little bit like Harry Kane. He he does the same, right? He, he obviously employs his brother to look after everything. He does, but depending on what stories you hear about how his brother <laughs> negotiated his release clause at Spurs, maybe you should have got someone. Yeah, or, um, I agree 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah very similar to Harry Kane. Okay, um, so obviously, when um, when you got the injury, did you then look into sort of like becoming an agent straight away? Because obviously, there's there's a course involved, right? You have no. to pass an FA. No, there's not a course. No. no. So they 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 taken away the regulation when I became my um, when I did my sort of license and with the FA. So historically, you would go, you would sit an exam. If you passed, you would become a football agent. VFA have deregulized all that now. So if I, you know, if you want to become a football agent tomorrow, you go on VFA website, you tick about three boxes. I'll never bet on football. Um, I've never been banned as a director of a company. X, X, Y, Z. You pay them 600 quid, you get a license. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is, which, you know, is, is a lot of, a re we, we get a bad reputation. Yeah. It's probably not hard to see because there's just everybody coming into the industry now without yeah. any sort of due diligence done by the governing bodies, um, any qualification needed, any exam. So 
ideally, my job or my company is to know employment law, contract negotiation, business law. You know, I, I could be a plumber and become a football agent within an hour. Mm. If, if I've got 600 quid, I want to pay VFA. So, so yeah, no, no qualification, no exam, nothing. Just literally tick a couple of boxes and, and you get a license. Just quickly on that, I'll ask, ask one question before we move on. Do you, like, what is your opinion on that? Do you think that there should be regulation? Absolutely. There should, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've I've serviced for six years. It's too easy to become a football agent. We get a bad reputation as it is. Get rid of idiots from the industry. But again, I'm not just on about the football agents industry. It's the same in any industry. Yeah, but get rid of idiots. And uh, at the end of the day, we're professional advisors. Mm. We're no different to an accountant, a solicitor, a lawyer. They all have to do a qualification, but we don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you obviously hear the horror stories about the agents and yeah. sometimes it's not hard to see why there's the horror stories because there's no due diligence. There's no, there's no sort of backstory between how to become a football agent. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's sort of tackle this stigma about, um, you know, there, there is this sort of stigma agents just in it for the money, blah, blah, blah. So let's hear it from your point of view. What is, um, what is like a typical day um, for you, Reeseland? What do you do? What are the extra things you do that like the normal football fan won't know an agent does? Um, I think, I think the obvious one is, you know, we, we, we get such a bad reputation and I was working up in Edinburgh um, last night and, and all day today, which you've probably seen on my Instagram. So I was sat in a bar actually last night in Edinburgh and I, I was speaking to this, these, these two men in the bar and they asked what I did. And I said, a football agent, you could see straight away how their face changes. Um, maybe in a, in a city like Edinburgh where it, you, know, you sort of live and breathe football. Um, but the reason why we've got such a bad reputation is because no one really knows what we do behind the scenes. We've got this, this stigma and this perception of agents that we turn up in January, we turn up in June, July and August. And we go and send an invoice to the club for 30 million quid. I wish it was like that. Well, we, we've got an office in Leeds where all our full-time staff are based. If that was the case, we'd have 10, 12 full-time staff sat on a beach for 10 months every year. We don't do that. I mean, for example, we're not in a transfer window at the minute. The transfer, the transfer window opens and closes. The transfer market never closes. So, for, for example, today, like again, we're not in a transfer window at the minute. We've been up to Edinburgh. We've signed a pre-contract for one of my clients that's based over in a European country that's out of contract in the summer. So the deal's done now, ready to announce in the summer. I've then travelled seven hours down to London for meetings tomorrow with, with, with Chelsea, actually. So, so that, that's a typical day. So there's a lot of time sat in my car. Um, but again, like, transfer windows open, transfer market never closes. I suppose... But do it- there's everything that like comes with transfers, right? So it isn't just like a salary negotiation. It's um, it can be anything. It can be um, I don't suppose things like houses. That it can be anything. Do you know what I mean? It, like you look after like what, all the sort of car deals they have, all the sponsorship. Or... Absolutely everything. So we're we're a full service management company. So there's agents and there's management companies, and then there's three sixty management companies, which we are. So an agent typically would just come in negotiate a contract and then go away again. Mm. A management company would manage certain aspects. A 360 management company would manage your social media accounts. For example, if a client's got kids and they need to you know, go to school or, or whatever and, and they have to relocate, we would see to all the paperwork. We, we manage the lives and the careers of players if they want us to. Some players don't want us to be full uh, as hands-on as other players do. Um, but yeah, we, we, we essentially control as much as what the player wants us to control. Ideally, the player just needs to go and concentrate on training and matches. So if we can control everything else and take that stress away from them, the amount of times when we get asked to tax cars, MOT cars, book holidays, we, yeah, we, 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 we're pretty much a 360, 24-7 PA mm. for the players. So obviously because you offer that sort of 360 service, there, there is obviously a charge. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because... You know, finances like that's all quite personal. Is is there a sort of like flat percentage that you charge for for that that service? Um, it, it all depends on the player's situation. I mean, we we've got players that are earning a hundred pound a week, but yet, you know, they, they still get the same access to the service. Mm. But we don't charge them because we you know ideally we we charge a percentage. But for me to go and charge a percentage of a hundred pound a week, 
that percentage is very minimal to us, it, but it means more to the player. Yeah. That's the side that the press don't see and the mm. general fans don't see. They, they think that we go and charge £30 million to clubs. Like I said, we, we work in women's football. There's not £30 million if you had every single club together. Mm. Um, but ideally, yeah. So a, a football agent would typically charge a percentage, but there's no sort of blueprint. You know, the guidance is obviously 3% from, from the governing bodies. However, some agents will charge five, some will charge 10, some will charge yep. 20%. Some will just charge them uh, a monthly fee, but you get exactly the same service. So, you know, ideally from an agent's perspective, if they charge a percentage, the end game is to try and get as much people on as much money as possible because the more money that the player earns, the more money that we earn. But we sort of go back to what I said at the start. If a player pays me, I'm working for the player. If I know that I'm going to go charge a club £6 million, I'm going to make sure there's £6 million left in in the bank at the end of the day to, to pay my invoice so yeah. then you're technically not working for the player which is why i said like when i was playing i wanted to play i wanted to pay my agent because at the end of the day i'm the one that's employing my agent so i need to make sure he's on my side and he's working for me so let's just let's just sort of touch on that you, you know um like you say you have players on 100 pound a week and i'm guessing that you're putting the faith in their career you're you're thinking they're going to progress you're going to help them progress to be the best player they can which then inadvertently would help your company, you know, the more sort of successful they get. So let's, let's sort of tear that back to the very beginning. Do you sort of go out and scout your own players? Yes, we, we don't employ any scouts. Um, we don't sign a player until we physically watch them. Other agents will just go and sign anyone. Yeah. We don't. We, we, we will go and watch a player three or four times. If a player wants to go and find another agent during this two or three week period, they're not the right player for us anyway. Mm. Um. Every single week, on average, we'll get between 15 and 30, 40 inquiries every single week. So that gives you a, a sort of an understanding in terms of our brand within women's football. But like I said, we, we would never go and sign a player until at least one of our staff have watched them at least once. Yeah. Or ideally, we watch them three or four times. Everyone views football differently. So, for example, if you worked for me and you went and scouted a player, you'd probably send me a different scout report than if I went and watched that player because some people like sort of the Barcelona, they're sort of building up from the back. Other fans like the direct, aggressive. So again, there's no blueprint. Football is all about opinions. Um, but our backroom team, we've sort of, again, it's something that we go through quite thoroughly on, on an interview stage. We all seem to understand football in the same way. We all seem to enjoy watching the same type of players. So anyone that looks at our sort of client base you tend to find the same characteristics within the players. Um, but in terms of you saying about like building the player and, and them growing and, uh, as, as, well as, un, uh, as well as us growing, our, our business model is very similar to, for example, Matchroom. Um, so like Barry Hearn and Eddie Hearn and how they build in boxing. So if a player is in, we use men's football, if a player is in League One or the Championship and they're scoring 20, 30 goals, slightly different in men's because of a, the media presence. But if you take away the media presence, if no one knows about this player, they aren't getting a move to the Premier League. Mm. So a lot of our work is done outside of transfer windows, pushing the players on social media, having the conversations in the background with clubs, so that if an opportunity arises, where, for example, if a club's wanting to get rid of one of their strikers, and I've got a striker here in the league below that's got 20, 25 goals, I need to make sure that club knows about this player. Mm. So it, it's not necessarily about hoping the player does well, it's a lot of the onus is on us as well to make sure that we promote the player correctly. I mean, again, we, we sort of revert back to boxing, but if you've got two fighters here that no one knows about, no one's going to go and watch it. But if you grow the fighters and you build the narratives and you tell the story, people sort of get attached with the player or the fighter and doors start to open, not only on an employment side, but also on the commercial side and the endorsement side. That's a very interesting take. That's the first time I've heard, I've heard like, um, like football being being sort of compared to boxing, but you're but but like you know you're right you're right. It, it, if there is a gem out there that isn't being watched, then if you can find them and, and then promote them the right way, and then make that market for that player, then then yeah, that makes sense. Well, well this this shows sort of a difference between agents because if you've got an agent, you don't sort of get the three hundred and sixty five days a year social media push got a 360 management company that for example might control your twitter account and your instagram account 
you're sort of getting a different level of service. So it depends also what the player wants. You know, we aren't going to be the right agent or the right management company for every single footballer. But it's, it's important that we get the right clients. You know, some, some agents might say that we have a high turnover of clients, but if we sign a player on a two-year deal and after six months, they don't really want the social media push, we're the wrong agent for them. So we don't mm-hmm. mind losing that player. Sorry, women's football don't generally have long contracts, though, do they? That's, a- that's absolute, that's Absolutely not, which is so important why you get that constant push because there's a 90% chance for in 12 months' time you're going to be changing teams. So that's why it's so important for a management company to constantly be shouting your name. If you're performing, we need to make sure that every single club in your league and the league above knows about you. Because if no one knows about you, you aren't getting a move. And that's the brutal honesty of it. Just on that quickly, why do you think that that all the contracts tend to be a lot shorter in the women's game? That's purely financial. Um, everything's in its infancy in women's football. I mean, you, you look at last week, for example, 91,000 go to the new camp to watch Barcelona Real Madrid. Barcelona's next match, you only get, I think, 4,000 4, or 5,000. Now, I look at that and it's funny because in the office, people say I'm too negative, but I look at that and I'll speak to our marketing department in the office and I'll say, so 86,000 fans didn't enjoy it. And that's, that's where I looked at it from a business mm. perspective, because if you're only retaining six or 7% of the audience, that's not really a success. I don't think. Mm. If you're, if you're retaining 40,000 on your next home game and you're saying, right, okay, we'll retain 50% here. But to jump from 91,000 to 4,000 or 5,000, that, 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 that um, unsustainability isn't good for women's football. Mm. So until we can, until the marketing departments at football clubs maybe pull their finger out a little bit and, and make that more consistent, we're always going to be on short-term contracts. However, we sort of go back five years when I first started, hardly any of the players were on contracts. Mm. Fast forward four years now, five years, sorry. A lot of our players now are on three and four-year contracts. So the growth is going in the right direction. Yeah. I wish it would go a little bit quicker, but... Uh, <laughs> It is growing really quickly, though. It is growing. Yeah, I mean, I was going to point pick on that. Is you said you started say six years ago in the women's game. What has? Why has it grown so quickly? Well, I suppose it hasn't in your terms, but if you, if do you know what I mean, so it's gone from that to, to it's exploded. Now Sky Sports deal with women's football. Now BBC get deal with women's football. Why has it exploded? But there's obviously more pressure from broadcasters on equality. Um, however they must be pulling the ratings in you know BT Sport aren't going to keep showing women's football matches unless people are watching it mm. the more people that watch it the more push it'll get the more adverts it'll get the more coverage it'll get instead of it being on once a week it'll be on twice a week so it's obviously going in the right direction but again I sort of look and think it's not going quick enough um, so I look at the average attendance five years ago mm. it has increased now but it's increased because of a one-off flagship events in the men's stadiums. Yeah. If you take away the men's stadium attendances, you've probably only doubled attendances from maybe 250 on average per season or per game to 500. I think in five years, that's quite poor. Mm. So, so mm. whenever people are looking at sort of, you obviously look at Barcelona, Real Madrid last week and think yeah. 91,000 people has gone. But I know at least 50 people that's travelled over from England to watch it. They mm. aren't travelling over every single Sunday to watch Barcelona, Real Madrid. They're only going because it's in the men's stadium. Then you've obviously got the argument, if it's always in the men's stadium, have you always got them big attendances? You know, to watch Barcelona, it might be 40 euros. To watch a women in the same stadium, it's only five euros. So there's different debates, but I think until the attendances sort of level themselves out and, and as a minimum, you sort of getting five, 10,000 people at every home game, I think you'll always be on relatively short contracts. Do you think that TV is going to play a part in that, though? Because obviously, if it's on TV, people with families and stuff like that will just go, oh, we'll watch it on TV. So about 18 months ago. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like the sort of balance of it. Is, yeah. oh, we can push it on TV, but then we can watch it on TV, get the armchair fans that won't go to the games, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I, no I do. I do. Um, about 18 months ago, two years ago, the, the FA sold the broadcasting rights to, um, I think it was BT Sports that bought it originally. I sort of criticised that originally because I thought we're trying to grow something here and you're putting it on a subscription-based product. We're trying to say, come and watch women's football. It's four quid for a ticket. But now we're going to charge them 60 quid a month to watch it on a subscription-based. 
I can see them wanting to sort of get more men's football fans into women's football. Personally, I think that's the wrong direction to go in. I think they need their own audience. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to convince people that are sort of stuck in their own ways. Yeah. Get your own fan base. Um, but again, like it's football. It's the same with players. Everyone's got their own opinions. I look at Sky yeah. Sports and think I'd probably do it differently. But maybe if I was sat in the meetings with, with the Sky Sports broadcasters and they're sort of saying, yeah, but look at the digital output and look at the numbers. They obviously have more data than what we have on all this. But personally, for me, I would like to see it more on BBC, more on ITV, where it's you know it's sort of mainstream. Everyone can access it. Mm. And hopefully then people enjoy it and they want to go and watch a game rather than put it on a thing where it's going to cost you 60, 70, 80, 90 pounds a month to watch it. Yeah. I agree. I think, the only, I think the only good thing about the, well, the way you look at this again, the only good thing about that money being pumped in by Sky or BT or whoever is it actually goes to the club. Now, I'd be interested to know how much of that is used on the women's game, if, if it is all used on the women's game. Um, because obviously it's just going to the club. So it'll go to Chelsea, it'll go to Tottenham, it'll go to Arsenal, Aston Villa, whoever. Um, so yeah, that, that's there's obviously that money being pumped into there. But in terms of the fans, and I think you're absolutely right in terms of the, the demographic of fans that they're looking for. There is no... I have had numerous arguments with with mates who say they're just not interested in the women's game and that is completely fine that is completely up to them um and, and it's hard to turn them around to say look you should watch it give it a go there's some absolutely brilliant players out there um and but yeah like you say they're going after just, the wrong thing I, it should be going after yeah. the families and stuff like that yeah i mean this is where it all comes back to the sort of um again amongst uh, Amongst the main, the main sort of male football fan base, there's a there's a large majority that that just completely dismiss the idea of women's yeah. football. Um, which I don't know even how you begin to tackle that. But I, I think you're right, Rich, that, that they need to be targeting um, like a I don't know, yeah, like families, um, kids that that may not want to go to men's football for obvious reasons. That sometimes it gets a bit leery and blah blah blah. So I have a I have a little story about that. Sorry, quick, Reese, just quickly. I have a little story about that. So when I we I recently took my little girl and her cousin out for something to eat in Milton Keynes, and um, as we were coming out of Pizza Express, um, the Milton Keynes Dons were playing. They could hear the, we could hear the tannoy, but it, because it was a Sunday, I said, "Oh, that's." They go, "Oh, what's that?" And I said, "Because they're only like young, three and five, whatever." And they go, "Oh, what's that?" And I said, "Oh." Um, there's a football match going on. They go, oh, who's playing? I said, oh, it's actually the, the women's that are playing today. I said, would you like to go and watch one day? And they were like, yeah, I don't want to watch boys. I want to watch girls. So it was quite nice. To, and that's a true story. probably. Get. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and so hopefully we should be, ta- they should be tackling those, the young girls and stuff like that uh, and the families. And I think that's where you'll grow. It will grow. It will grow. Because I, the, I... The, the, the women are great at going over to the fans at the end and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, it's much more accessible. I think that, a... that's that's exactly what I was about to say. Um, it's it's a different it's a different product. You go on yeah. a Sunday, it's different to going on a Saturday and watching a League One match. It's a different product, mm. it's a different environment. There's people out there that don't want to go watch men's football because, like you said, it might be too aggressive. There's yeah. too much swearing in the stands. They don't want to take their young kids. Women's football is not like that. You've just mentioned there about the accessibility. One thing that I love about women's football is the fact that all the players come over or sign shirts. They love that aspect of it, the players. The, the fans love it as well. The little kids, yeah. the, 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 10, 15 minutes after full-time whistles are gone, it's probably the best part of the match because you see how much it means to not only the players, but the fans as well. Mm. You go to the Premier League, how many of the Premier League players come over and sign shirts at the end of the match? They're not even allowed to now by the press officers. Yeah. They'll blame COVID, but... Um, they wouldn't do that there's anyway. No, there's no accessibility. No. If I, if I, if a Liverpool fan sent an email into the press department at Liverpool and said, um, "Can I get a signed shirt from Virgil Van Dijk?" You aren't even getting an email back. You are never going to get in touch with Virgil Van Dijk, whether that's through his agent or through the club or through whoever. You want a signed shirt from women's football? You've only got to go to a match, take your shirt, the mm. players will sign it. Mm. It's, it's much more accessible and, and like I say you're growing a different audience instead of trying to convince the 50 year olds that sort of stuck in the ways in men's football you know but just like to moan essentially you know, like you, you go and watch Man City Man United 
it'll finish 3-3. The one thing that they'll talk about is that one player that had a bad game. They'll not talk about how good the three goals were or how good the game were, how competitive mm. it were. They'll just criticise one player. And there's a lot of these people. I mean, I'm at, at times I'm probably as bad as anyone for stuff like that. But We all are at times. We all are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's just human instinct. You know, you'll watch an hour and a half and you'll pick up on the bad stuff. Mm. But in women's football, you, you sort of focus on the next. How good was that game? I know it was nil-nil, but how end-to-end, how competitive were it? But it's a different product. And the, the yeah. quicker that, that not only fans, but broadcasters and people inside sport in general, the quicker that people stop comparing it to men's football, the yes. quicker they will. This is what I wanted to touch on as well is um, I just hate it when you have people comparing it because it is a complete different game. Um, This also brings me on to a question I'd like to pose to you. There have obviously been talks. I I, I know there's there's been things said over the years about maybe making the pitches a bit smaller, making the goals a bit smaller. How... As as like someone that works within the women's game, what do you think on that? It's a tough one. It's, it's something that I speak about with my with my players a lot as well. Um, you'll speak to one player and they'll say, "We want the same size goals." That's what pretty much everyone sort of says back to me. But maybe bring the pitches into, for example, if you bring the goals into the edge of a six yard box, so you're only mm. really adjusting twelve yards of the pitch. Yeah. But it'll make a massive difference because sometimes you'll go and watch a game and and you'll notice that. Some of the players, for example, struggle to switch the ball because of a power difference between men's and women's uh, anatomies. So if you sort of bring it in 12 yards either direction, you've sort of got a different product there. Mm. I sort of look and I think, then you sort of change in the game slightly. You sort of look at tennis, mm. same court. You sort of look mm. at boxing, same ring. Look at rugby, same pitch. Mm. Um, why, should, why should football be different? Why should football have to adapt? Not adapt for women, but why should we have to change a sport? This is football. Mm. This is this is a guidelines of football. This is a pitch. This is a sport. But I think the comparisons only come when people start comparing men's and women's football. Mm. Take yeah. away the comparisons, no one's ever going to question the size of a pitch. Mm. True. The one thing I mean, what Rich was saying about the goals, and that, I, was, I was, I'm actually quite, I'm, I suppose I'm a little bit surprised where you said that none of the goals weren't changing, because. From all the games that I've seen, I've always, you know, been to see live. I have always noticed that the goalkeepers are quite, you know, they're they're a lot smaller than a male's goalkeeper. Um, they're not, you know, six foot four, six foot five, six foot six. They are, you know, five seven, five six, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So obviously, you will get more goals because they don't have the, you know, range to get to certain parts of the goal. But I suppose that brings in the entertainment part of it that there are going to be more goals from it. Absolutely, and I think from a marketing perspective, if Sky Sports are getting involved, I'm sure they'd rather have a six-goal thriller than a one-one yeah. draw. Um, but but to answer your question there, in terms of in terms of the height differences, it's a funny question because I was speaking to a, a WSL sports scientist last week about this and and about their opinions. And basically, from from what I'm told, and we have to go on on physios and, and sports yeah, yeah, sure. because this is an hour hour. Um, yeah. area of expertise but from what from what the feedback I get from from people like this is the fact that the anatomy is a different so for example the hips are wider which then takes away power in their quads and their knees so for example jump into the top corner of a goal becomes slightly harder for females but you look at some goalkeepers and some goalkeepers are fine so mm. again it's every it's a, it's a difference but again like you look at for example men's goalkeepers some goalkeepers can do things better than what other goalkeepers can. That's the beauty of a sport. Every single player is different. Yeah. Yeah. I just great. want to roll back to... Um, so you've you, you, you've been running Next Gen for six years now. Um, and obviously following that conversation with Arsene Wenger, you you found a sort of niche in the market, right? That's, that's, that's obviously the opportunity you saw. The game was going to start growing. You wanted to hit that. Um, how did it start off? You know, who, who were your sort of first like five clients? How did you find them? Um, so it, it was a funny one because if if someone would have asked me six years ago to name them three female footballers, I probably wouldn't have been, been, been I wouldn't be able to name you one, let alone three. Which then showed me there's no promotion, so mm. let me go and build the next star. Um, we we didn't rush. Um, 
every single person that I mentioned this to said, what are you doing going into women's football? You charge a percentage of nothing. What sort of business owner does that? <laughs> um, so so the, first, the first 12 to 18 months was hard because you're sort of signing players to represent them on a percentage, but they weren't on a contract. They weren't even on expenses, let alone a contract. So you sort of just got to ride the wave a little bit, but I knew that it wouldn't be too long, whether that's 12 months, whether that's 18 months, whether that's two years. Luckily from sort of my background in football, I was able to sort of ride that wave for 12 months mm. financially. If I didn't have that background, maybe we wouldn't have been here today. But again, it's, it's riding that wave because you know that in 18 months time, in two years time, the landscape of the industry and the market is going to be completely different. By the time the change came, when players are now all of a sudden on five grand a year, I know this is like ridiculously low money, but two years later, players are on five grand, then they're on 10 grand. Everyone knows who my company is. So anyone, then, you know, agents were fairly new. I mean, when I started six years ago, I think it was about two agents or three agents in the industry, as opposed to about 3,000 in men's football. Mm. But the reason why no one touched women's football is because we're charging a percentage of nothing. Um, but there wasn't a management company when I first started. I couldn't really name you any female players, but I watch boxing. I watch what Eddie Hearn does. I watch how he builds the next stars that essentially no one's heard of, how he makes them national mm. household names. That's a bit that interested me. How I can take someone that no one's ever heard of. How can we get from Nottingham Forest to Man City? Can we do that? Is your ability going to allow you to do that? The player will say yes or no to that question. I don't have to answer it. If a player says no, okay, then well, let's try and market you in a way that becomes attractive to football clubs. Let's try and market you in a way that becomes attractive to um, Adidas, Nike. Let's try and then get the, the commercial side to, to boost your earnings through endorsements. I mean, in the first in the first 12 months, everyone told me that the big brands wouldn't come into women's football because there was no return of investment on a commercial point of view. Absolute rubbish. The first How 12 wrong months, were they, eh? Absolutely. Do you know, I would run a word it differently then, but absolute rubbish. <laughs> um, we In the first 12 months, we brought Mercedes-Benz, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges, Adidas, Nike, Pro Direct. Um, who else did we bring in? Go on his website, you can see the companies. Yeah. We, we, we were bringing in the, um, the biggest names, but we, we, we presented to their marketing directors, their marketing departments. We presented a way where they could get a return of investment. And that didn't start with, you give me half a million pound, like what everyone else was doing in the industry. Mm. We presented a way where he said, don't pay us a penny, but I bet I can bring you some money back into your company. Whether that's five grand or 10 grand through sales, five, 10 grand is nothing to Nike or Adidas. But to a marketing director, that's, that's essentially their job is to return of investment. You pay me nothing. I bring you 10 grand's worth of sales in. <laughs> companies then start to pick up on that so so we mm. went in with a different strategy to what football clubs were doing because if that's a football club they're going in saying right okay you give me 50 grand you can have your badge here we went in with something completely different um but yeah the first the first 12 18 months was hard because we just had to ride a wave with hardly any income if any income mm. as a business did you but have a business that. did you have a business background before that Reese, obviously you were what 20 so you know uh, i mean how not, yeah 19 20 i think so no. did you did you no. had enough so you just built the company up from scratch obviously no, you've got the background I'd, I'd, I'd never i'd never worked in business um i'd never owned a business but i was obsessed with business um but i'd Incredible. never actually done it before and now you look at our competitors and People might listen to this and think, oh my God, he's arrogant, but look at our competitors. No one's doing what we're doing. No one has an infrastructure like what we have. No one provides the services that we provide. And this started five years ago with zero income. Wow. Uh, uh, I've got full uh, admiration for you, mate. Yeah, massive. Are we allowed to just touch a little bit on figures? I don't want to go too much, but what is the the market worth in in the women's game to agents? What, What is the sort of... Do you know that roughly? No, I've got no idea. If not, I'll be no. honest. Um, I, so there was, a, was an article came out about a month ago that said the lowest paid Super League player is on £20,000 a year. I think the article was, don't quote me on that, but I'm sure that's roughly what the, the article headline was. Absolute rubbish. We have players that are on 60% less than that. 
So really? whatever journalist has put this out of the lowest paid Super League players on £20,000 a year, if a journalist would have phoned me, he'd have got a lot better story. Yeah. And he'd have got something more factual than what he put out. So if you think that a full-time footballer, and I know this happens, not necessarily with us anymore, but I know this place still to this day, but a full-time footballers that are expected to be in the training ground five days a week, 45 hours. You know, if you've gotten away much, you're sort of looking at 55 hours roughly, and they'll be on five, six grand a year. And I, I know that happens now. Um, not really we, anyone in our company, but I know there is players out there. And you think yeah. an agent charges 3% or 5,000 <laughs> per year. Mm. You know, and people think that we're going and charging clubs 30, 40, 50 million yeah. or, 80, or 80 million pound like me or Raiola did mm. to, to we, we, had Sa- we had Sarah Wilson on who plays for Durham. She's the captain of Durham. And um, she, she had a, she had a job, didn't she, Rich? She had a, yeah. a, a second job as well. So, you know, that's someone that was challenging to, to get into the Super League. I want to ask but, this, um, Reese, because I know that some of the listeners will probably be asked will have the same sort of mindset as me. Are you allowed to talk about so what is your firm's annual turnover? Are you allowed to talk about that? Um, don't have to, you don't have to, it's not a problem. When you talk about annual turnover, you look on, for example, if you look on Companies House, what you see on Companies House is a screenshot of one day, a snapshot of mm. one day, which tends to be the 5th of April, but doesn't really give you a justification of the industry. So, for example, if, if, when's the 5th of April? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So let's just say tomorrow I've got £1 in my bank account. People will look about and think, he's making no money. What people don't see is a 12 months that surround that. So, for example, like today, I've gone from a hotel night in, in Edinburgh, a seven-hour drive down to London, and then the hotel tonight in, in, in London. None of that is paid for by anyone. That's paid for by me. So that's, that's an expense to the business. So, for example, if that, if, if, um, if that 24 hours has just cost me 400 quid, I've got an expensive car that's not really good on mileage. If, that, <laughs> if that's just cost me 400 pounds this last 24 hours, but I'm only charging 20 pounds a month because someone's only on 400 pounds a month. Mm. I need that play for three years just to earn one day's worth of money. Mm. So I just want to put that into perspective. But what we do as agents... You only ever see in the media what Mino Raiola, Jonathan Barnett, yeah. um, George Mendes. Um, you only ever see that side. You don't see what the other three and a half, four thousand football agents are earning. So, in terms of annual turnovers, you know, everything's on a public register on Company's House. But what I say about that is that's only a snapshot of one day. Mm. So, that can make a company look very good. I know there's business owners, not just in football, but just in general life. But they will ask their friends to, 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 to do a bank transfer for five, six thousand pounds on the fourth of April, and I'll transfer it back on the sixth of April just to make it look like they've got cash in the bank on that one mm. day. So it's very easy to, I'm not saying fabricate it, but it's easy to gloss over and mm. mask um, imperfections in industries. Mm. Amazing. Um, yeah, Reese, really impressed. Where where do you want to be? I don't know. Uh, let's say five but you know between five ten years where do you want next gen to be i have to be the, the biggest football agent in football whether that's that, that's not just in women's football that is globally across men's and women's and i want to be the biggest sports agent um i look at for example what stella sport do so anyone that follows my instagram got a very very good relationship with barry hearn and eddie hearn um who sort of I tap into quite a lot for their how, how they operate but i sort of look what they're doing in boxing they absolutely dominate boxing, darts, snooker, gymnastics. Mm. They, they dominate every industry that they are in. That has to be us. We have to dominate football, women's football, men's football. Whether we're going to rugby, I don't know anything about rugby, so maybe not rugby, but whatever we go into, we have to be. I don't want to be one of 3,000. I want any, if Gareth Bale's moving away from his agent, I need that first name that he thinks mm. of me, either me or my company. So... Yeah. As we sort of discussed off air earlier, you um, all your clients are like based in the women's game. Um, you're obviously actively trying to get into the men's game. Is that not necessarily no? So, so FIFA, um, there'll be a lot of agents listening to this. Um, so I'll, I'll basically I'll tell them my next move and then it'll, it'll they can strategize their next team. <laughs> so, but 
FIFA look like they're bringing in a reform set of proposals which are going to govern football agents. So instead of me having a license with the FA, I'll probably hold a license with FIFA. They look like they're bringing the exam back. I can tell you now, I know a lot of my competitors that are absolutely clueless about football, let alone employment law, tax law, finance, contracts. Um, I know a lot of agents aren't passing this exam if it comes back in. Not only women's football, but in men's football as well. So at the minute, I'm, I'm fine in women's football because at the minute, we're, we're probably the biggest fish in women's football. So at the minute, I've got no... I don't need to be in men's football tomorrow. I'm happy to go into men's football when 3,000 or 2,000 people fail this exam. And then all of a sudden, there's 6,000 footballers mm. that are left agentless. Yeah. I'm happy to go into it then and then sweep up the market. I I love... I love that, Reese. I love it. Because um, you're right. I mean, uh, as as being like a part-time scout myself, you go to these games and you see so many cowboys that you you you, you just can't believe it. They are. They're, they're everywhere. Honestly, it makes me laugh because I I don't, I don't want to get too deep on this, but if, if you come into our office, you'll you'll hear some interesting conversations because we laugh at some of some of our competitors, but some of the agency men's football are the same. But like you go on companies house and they'll be losing 20, 30,000 pounds, but You'll go and watch them and you'll see them stood at the side of a pitch and they'll be in a jacket that's worth three and a half thousand and they'll be driving a brand new Mercedes. And you just think, if that's what you think a football agent is, get out and don't mm. compare yourself to, to, don't have me getting compared to you. Um, but, I, 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 but it's the same in any industry. Mm. Yeah. That just sounds like a typical salesman. Do you know what, what I mean? Like, what, what, do you know, what I've, like, what so... I've just said, or how they're dressed. So how they're dressed. <laughs> how they're dressed. Because, obviously, I'm actually a salesperson. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, you know, you will dress to impress. So it's sort of like, look what you could have, that sort of thing, rather than actually having the knowledge. Or it's whatever a front. To... Yeah, it's a front. Yeah, it's, it's a front. So, I, you know... Rich, like you say, he's, he's Rich is a part-time scout in a national league side, and um, it's something that I'm moving into as well. And and we know football. We watched a lot of football, and play, I played a lot of football. And and you know, sometimes it's that kind of experience which you're saying, like apart from like these, you know, you're saying about uni students coming through, which we spoke about prior. You know, who don't have that experience of football um, is. It's, it's imperative for this business. Absolutely. You really need to have that football knowledge, and uh, and and something that we notice from a lot some other agents that we've spoken to is that you're seeing a lot more uh, agents coming through from law and sort of uh, like solicitors. Is that right, right Rich? Stuff like yeah. that. Who, who, yeah, the law background. Who have been in that business and moving over the law background. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you're absolutely right, and it's. It's funny to watch sometimes because obviously the perception of an agent is you sort of think of an agent in your head and you think, right, you stood on the side of a pitch with a camel haircut and a cigar. <laughs> and then you actually look at the reality these days at some of the people and they're stood there in a Gucci jacket and some Christian Louboutin trainers and they're driving a brand new Merc and we've got a fake Rolex on. And you think that's actually what the reality is. But it's all this sort of image of, mm. I suppose you've got to, you've got to market yourself, I suppose, which I yeah. understand. But when you're in women's football, and you look at again like one of our competitors, and you'll go on their Instagram, for example, and he'll be flashing this this new Rolex off, and you think you're in women's football. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying I know who your clients are. I can probably guess how much you're earning, but you're, you're sort of you're, you're flexing this image of it. And I just think if that's if that's a way that you're you're, you're marketing yourself, how are you going to market your clients? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like every business is different. People, sure. people, people obviously look at what we do and think, "What is he doing?" But look at our success ratio. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I, there's, yeah, I suppose you're right. And um, what what I wanted to do, what I did want to know is, how do you sell? Obviously, you spoke about a 360 management. Is that how you sell it to the players? Is that you know? Because you were saying you're not selling it with the Rolexes and stuff like that. How, how do you sell what you, cause you're the biggest firm in what you do in women's football. So what, what, how, how do you sell it to the players or, or new clients? No one really signs with me until they've come to have a look around our office. Okay. As soon as they've come to have a look around our office, I don't even have to say a word. But that, that's, that, again, people listen to this and think, Oh my God, he's arrogant. But that's the truth because whatever a player needs, 
is in the office. Whatever we offer as a service is what I needed and what I wanted as a footballer, which is the reason I think why we've grown so quickly, because I'm giving players and I know what they need and want. If anyone comes to our office, they get shown around the office and meet the staff. Okay, this is a marketing department. This is a finance department. This is a media department. They're going to a media, they're going to a green screen. You know, it looks like ITV studios when you walk in. So, okay, if I phone Sky Sports News and say, do you want to do an interview with you? Sky Sports News will say no, because you play in the third division. Okay, we'll do it. Come into a green screen, into the media room. We'll create our own production about you. We don't need Sky Sports. We don't need the Telegraph. We don't need BBC Sports. You show me another agent. And we say the same thing to every single player that walks through our office door. Do not sign with us today. Go and speak to three or four other agents. Go and have a look around their offices and their infrastructure, because we are that confident that you will come back to us. And then you will appreciate what we do for players and what our infrastructure is and what our background is. But go and speak to other agents first. Mm. And then you'll understand who we are. But there's no, honestly, there's no, there's no sales pitch. There's no sales technique. It's no. literally come and have a look around the office, go and speak to another agent and then do your own comparisons. How, how many are there big agents in the, in the women's game? Is it yourselves and it's a, is, is, it, is it a big market? You're, you're going to get me in trouble with this one, but honestly, I don't. Ah. I, don't I, 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 I honestly, hand on heart, do not see anyone. No, no one has the infrastructure like we have. I say no one. You look at, for example, like base soccer. These are absolute giants in men's football. So they mm. should have an infrastructure because it's getting financed by top, top, top Premier League footballers that they're representing. I compare our competitors to people that only work in women's football. Mm. Yeah. No one, so, no one, no one that only works in women's football has an amateur to professional success uh, transitional ratio like what we do. No one has an infrastructure like we do, and no one has a backroom capacity like what we do. Okay, so like people like you were saying, is it base agency? They, will they represent a lot of the, the WSL players? Yeah, so they, they were actually in it before I were. So my argument is they should have gone and cherry-picked all the, all the top internationals because they were the first ones in it. Uh, however, they have also got probably 100 players that are playing in the Premier League that are all probably on half, 100 grand a week. Mm, yeah. If they're charging three or four million pounds per transaction, they should have an infrastructure for the women. But I yeah, can't. my business can't be compared to them because they're getting bankrolled by their men's departments. Mm. Uh, so right. I compare my competitors to people that only work in women's football. Got you. Got you. Okay. Now, that's why I was interested because I know, obviously, I've seen some of the, the top women's, uh, top of the women's game and just I always have a look to see who they're represented by and I always see base. So it's just quite it, interesting. I was just wondering it, that. Yeah. You know, it, 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 these these sort of these companies can go into meetings with with any female footballer yeah. and say, look, you know, we, we can get you the boot deal with Nike. We, we you know want to look at our client here at Wayne Rooney. My counter to that is go on their Instagram, see when the last time they posted anything about a female. Because let's let's be honest, if Nike came to one of these agencies and said, right, okay, who have you got? Well, we've got Wayne Rooney. We've got this player in the second division in women's football. Who are Nike going to want? So I can understand what they're doing. Mm. But if you want someone that is specialising in women's football and has mm. been for six years, we don't need the men's department for us to run a sustainable business. Mm. You know, I'm not saying they do, but it is getting bankrolled by the men's department. Definitely. But if, if, if we can build a sustainable business here in women's football without getting bankrolled by a men's department, Imagine where we're going to be in 10 years' time. And that's what I just say to the players. And if they want to be part mm. of this journey, or if, again, like some, some players might not want the service that we offer. Some players mm. might not want us to be so hands-on. Then we have a wrong agent for them. It's an amazing we're, story, Reese. Yeah. Or Jambo. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, is, is it always that 360 management that you offer? Is, is there, there's, no, there's no levels to it? Um, there's, there's obviously levels. I mean, Listen, if a player wants to pay us the exact same amount of money but doesn't want the 360 management service, yeah. we'd be stupid to say no. Mm. However, okay. if you want it, it's there. We do it for everyone else. Yeah. So mm. there's no there's no hidden costs anywhere. It's it's a percentage. So whether mm. you pay me whether you pay me one pound a month or a hundred grand a month, you get exactly the same service. Got you. So take take Got full you. advantage of whatever you need from us. Brilliant. Um, let's just touch on some like light-hearted stuff in your opinion uh give me like, like the next big three players in the women's game you know and if anyone under the age of sort of 20 
who are the next big three players? Right, I know I, I've got mine. Right, I, I can't answer that question because I represent 70-odd players and I know for a fact <laughs> within an hour of this going out, I'll have 65 players <laughs> if you want to me. Then why have you not mentioned me? One player that I will say is there's a, there's a player who I've been quite open and honest about and I've, I've had quite a lot of stick about this as well. There's a player at Nottingham Forest called Alice Higginbottom. She's 17 years old. She will be the next big thing in England. She is, she's a player that I've never, I've never seen a player like this and she's only 17 years old. Again, like I'm the same as you here on this, Jamie. I'm a salesman, so yeah, I don't need to sell this player. Anyone that goes to watch this player, if there's 22 players on this pitch, people recognise this one player. Mm. She'll get she'll get a very good move this summer. She's at Nottingham Forest at the minute. She'll get a very good move this summer. Um, but for us, it's about it's about managing that career correctly. Mm. You know, this summer she could go to, you know, you name any big team in the country, and she could go there this summer. Yeah. But for us, we're not just going to go to a Man City or a Chelsea or a Man United just to say we're at a Man City, Chelsea or Man United. Mm. If that's not the best for her career, we'll build her. She'll go into the second division. We'll grow again. We'll step up. And I can guarantee that we'll be at Man City, Chelsea in three years' time. But it'll be a more sustainable growth than just going this summer. But she, in my opinion, she will be, she'll be the next big thing in England. Mm. A few weeks ago, we actually went to watch uh, went to watch Watford Blackburn, um, and Watford have got a young seventeen year old on loan from Arsenal, Taya Goldie. Oh, she yeah, uh, I think she, I think she, she was wasn't she? Yeah, she has. Yeah, she there. was fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw it. She yeah. was superb. Um, and again, at the age of seventeen, you can just tell she's going to have a great career in the game. Yeah, she's um, unbelievable. I, I when we were watching it, we were like, "Wow, she's she's going." I I spoke to someone next to me. I was like, "How old is she?" She was seventeen. We were like, "Bloody hell, incredible!" <laughs> yeah, I know. There's another one I like, Lu- Lucy Watson at um, Sheffield United. Lu- Lu- Lucy Watson, someone who we've watched quite a lot. Cause I, 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 Sheffield United is probably my closest team, so it's someone that I yeah, watch. Yeah. I watch quite a lot, and yeah, you know, if if she she can go on to a, another one, she can go on to achieve whatever she wants to achieve. It's now you know. Does she need a top agent to look after her? Absolutely not. Not to open doors because her talent does that. Yeah. Maybe to get her best deals potentially, but in terms of natural talent, whatever she wants to go on to achieve, she can go on to achieve. Mm. Rich? Um, I'm done, mate. Um, I'm, you know, kind of absolutely amazed. Um, I can't believe you're only 26, Reese, in terms of what you've done. Um it's been brilliant. Have you got any questions, Jambo? No, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for coming on. And and, and it, I'm actually blown away. I think mm. I think you're absolutely brilliant, Reese. And I know it's got blown smoke up your ass. It doesn't really matter from my from me because obviously you're so incredibly it's successful. Mm. Um, yeah. Can I but, just sort of end just with one sort of little lighthearted yeah, story? Can, so um, yeah. I know we mentioned sort of me being quite a young agent on this and. I'm, I'm 26 and it's been mentioned quite a few times during this interview but that actually plays a negative on me so about a month ago I went to meet a WSL player <laughs> who told me that I was too young to be her agent she then went and signed for an agent that's about 45 years old that's only been an agent for six months um, but it's, it's actually quite a funny story because it's age literally means nothing mm. um, but I, I do feel sorry for like the the older generation of football agents that haven't grown up with social media. So they have a different marketing strategy to what I have. Like I, I've grown up with social media. I understand the power of it. And then I obviously look on some of our competitors, Instagrams and see what they're putting out. And I think you can just tell that this is still alien to you. Yeah. Well, how, how do you think some social media has, has built the women's game? Cause you do see a big push from social media for the women's game. I think social media builds everything. I don't think it's just necessarily women's football. I think every single thing now that gets sold is via social media. Sound like Stephen Bartlett, <laughs> which is true, though. But you know, but yeah, no, I completely agree. It's it's a massive marketing tool, mm. you know. It, and it and, and not to be disrespectful to the older agents, but they haven't grown up with Instagram and Twitter no. and, and and whatever else. So I'm not saying they don't understand it, but they'll have a different a different outlook of it mm. over what I do because I've sort of grown up. I'm on it twenty four seven. My whole business is run essentially from a phone or a laptop 
the old generation of football agents that you know they're still writing letters to people and posting it in a letterbox business is different so mm-hmm. but again maybe maybe people prefer the older school um every every agent's different every football is different so it's it's just really finding the right agent for you if, if you're a yeah. player who's going to give you the best service and who's going to give you and who's going to deliver results at the end of the day we i'm only as good as what results i can deliver as soon as i stop delivering results i go bust We'll have to book ourselves to. into a tour for the uh, <laughs> for the Leeds office race. You'll have to show us around. <laughs> come in, come in, and look. If, you, if you're interviewing any other agents in women's football, go and have a look around their office, and come and have a look around our office, and, <laughs> and, um, and, and you you let me know your thoughts. Rich, we can do that when we come up to watch uh, England Holland at Ellen Road. Mm. Yeah. Um, Cool. Thank you so much, Reese. We really, really appreciate it. I know you've yeah, been a busy, brilliant. busy guy today as well. Um, so, yeah, we really, really appreciate your time. And um, great pod. Just I've absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, yeah, blown away. Blown away. Nice uh, one, Reese. I love, I, love, I love business too. So to hear it from a business point of view as mm. well is, is, is just brilliant. And we wish you all the very best, mate. And we can't wait to see you be the number one agent in football. We'll see what happens. I might, I might fail this exam like what the others do. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Anyway, thank you for inviting me. No worries. Pleasure. No worries. Here at Hitting the Areas podcast, we are big supporters of the MND Association for this series. Motor neuron disease is a fatal, rapidly progressing disease that affects the brain and the spinal cord, leading to loss of movement, speech, and ultimately the ability to breathe. My name is Richard Kaisen. I, I lost my dad to this disease last year, and that's why we support it. If you can visit their website, which is the MND Association, if you just Google that, there'll be more information about the disease and also how you can donate if you wish to. Thank you. Wow, Jambo. Um, first thing I want to say, I'm absolutely blown away by a story and one thing I love massively is that um sort of for want of a better word arrogance that 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 sort of self-confidence uh knows that he's the best and he would do everything to give the best service to his you know to his clients um yeah it, it, it is a bit like arrogance but it's arrogance in a good way and uh, what an amazing story. Um, he will go very far. His firm will go very far. We know that. Um, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I actually think it's self-belief. It's um, a culture that he's built within within his company. Um, and, and he's learned some key skills in getting to where he is. Um, and... I think he's just works off a really high performance um, state of mind. 26 years old. Um, and I know we keep going on about, you know, you know it's not patronising. It, it's it's in awe. And um, the admiration we have for someone like that is, is absolutely amazing what he's done. And to create the biggest 360 management agency in football, women's football is is just a credit to him absolutely brilliant and you know that what his um what his staff and his clients they all love the agency and working for him um and just a a brilliant insightful episode and something that hopefully a little bit of the stigma around football agents like he said it's you get the super agents, George Mendes's, your um, Jonathan Barnett's, and Mino. That that's a completely different world of football, isn't it? Mm. You know, you, you pull Pogba's on yeah. four hundred thousand pound a week. We're talking about women's football. We're talking about real down to earth footballers who aren't on that kind of money. So this isn't really about all business is going to be about money in terms of making money and making profit yeah. and stuff like that. But his side to it as well is about the footballers because he's mm. been about been a footballer before. Um, and, and I was just absolutely blown away from blown away with it. What, what did you take away from it that, that, that you really liked? Uh, just 
just his uh, his sort of attitude to the business and uh, that it, that whole sort of client care. He, he isn't in it just for the money. He is in it to to help careers, to build relationships, to to see all of his clients succeed at the highest level. Um, and it's it's a real eye opener for any sort of young footballers out there. There is there is an alternative if you get injured or if you fall out of the system. I mean, Reese has built a whole career for himself that I guarantee one day before he got that bad injury, he would never have seen himself going down. Um, and he's made an amazing business, which is going to go, it's going to get massive. You can just tell, the, you know, you, you just get that aura from him um, that he is going to be successful within the game. Um, you know, so... You, Really good luck to him, um, and an and absolute fantastic guest. This is a guy that had no business experience prior, mm. no law experience. No, he's built that within that six years, and look at the information and the people he's now working with at the very top of men's and women's game. It's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. Um, so we came, we've come at it from a different angle today, haven't we? You mm, know, a, definitely. And um, as much as obviously we, we we like talking to the footballers and the coaches and stuff like that, this this is just as interesting. Um, mm. And and hopefully people have learned a few things today, which is great. Yeah, and again, you know, th- th- this is us living up to the name of the podcast, and uh, mm. we, we we are trying to bring guests in from every single area, and you know, an Asian from the women's game. It's um, pretty diverse, but. What an absolute amazing conversation. Um, brilliant, mm. Jambo. Well done. Cheers. <laughs> um, okay, so that's it. Um, we've had some brilliant... Apologies we haven't been about for the last couple of weeks. Um, like I said, at the start, I've had a bit of COVID. Um, so it's been a bit difficult to record. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're back now. We're, we're steamrolling ahead with, with the episodes um and we've got some great guests lined up coming up uh, again different areas we haven't touched on before so hopefully something new for you guys um if you could keep subscribing um keep hitting those like buttons following us on social media we want to boost our social media a bit more instagram hitting the areas podcast twitter at hitting areas pod um if you can come and follow us that'd be brilliant um and, and let us know how we're getting on if you can tweet us sometimes we put questions on our twitter just uh, if there's sort of things that we've topics that we've seen um we sometimes get you guys involved and and like to hear your views on things and hopefully we can start adding in a few more 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 podcasts during the week um we're looking at doing something a little bit different with the podcast coming up so hopefully you enjoy that as well maybe some bite-sized stuff um towards the end of the week um but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Keep keep subscribing. Keep reviewing us. That's that's big for us. If you can review us, um, give us those five-star reviews on Apple. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for those that, that have done. We really appreciate it. Um, so that's it for this week. Um, we've been the Hitting the Areas podcast. Me, Jamie Roberts and Richard Kyson.